This is the Christmas season. We are part of a world that uh, seems to have forgotten much about what Christmas is really about. Uh, just driving through our neighborhoods, you know, it seems like people have spent gazillions of dollars on buying these blow-up things that I guess if a good wind were come, to come along, they would probably be airborne. But uh, it's really not Christmas. That's really not Christmas, is it? And, you know, lights are really nice. We put lights outside, and that's really not Christmas. I mean, it's Christmassy, but uh, I, I went to the, uh, yesterday I went to the, uh, for the first two or three hours, those, this Lifelines giveaway yesterday. Katie made a statement yesterday. It really made sense to me. She says, uh, Jesus was born in a most inconvenient time. Uh, it was an inconvenient time for Mary. It was an inconvenient time for Joseph. It was an inconvenient time for people. Uh, but that's the time that God had chosen for Christ to be born. And so speaking of certainties and the providence of God, I would like for you to please take your Bibles and turn with me to First uh, John chapter 3. I'm not going to give you a Christmas message today. We're, we're going to start Christmas messages next week. And up through and up through the Christmas day, but uh, I, I want you to I want you to be certain of things that God has given us. You know, we we live in a culture and world where many or most people believe that the only certainty is the uncertainty of meaning and purpose of human life. And uh, a lot of people, their their whole life is built around the idea that nothing is certain. You know, we, we have no certainty. So I want to I discuss some certainties with you today. So let's look at our text. First uh, John chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. For this is the message which we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, there is so much here. And uh, Lord, we have just a short time to share all this. But Father, uh, may, the, may the, the message today 
those things that we will be will be said, Father, may they resonate in our hearts, Lord, that we would draw closer to you. We would resist the evil one, and, and he will flee from us according to your word. Uh, Lord, in this Christmas season, may we, we reflect upon the fact that Christ came into this world uh, to save sinners, Lord, to seek and to save we who were lost. And Lord, Lord we, we are so thankful, Lord, that you have called us out of, out of all of this world to be your servants and your disciples in Christ's name. Amen. So the question that lies before us is, what can we know that is real and absolute? Science itself lends itself to the concept of human existence as it pertains to, uh, as it pertains to meaning when it questions the very ideas how we got here. How did we, how did we really get here? And science ponders that question and it lends itself to to some cultural thoughts and, and uh, some scientific theories and hypotheses. It has even been speculated that the human race originated from, uh, from a spaceship that came from another planet and landed here on earth. That's where we came from. You know, the mothership from whatever planet came and here we are. Do you really believe that? Does that sound very scientific to you? Does that sound like an absolute to you? Uh, I, 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 would not, I would be ashamed to put my name as a scientist, put my name to something like that and let it be so speculated that uh, yeah, <laughs> I thought of that. So we as Christians, uh, we have absolutes. We, we should not have speculative thoughts concerning what God's Word says. If, if we have these absolute thoughts and, 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 and beliefs in us, if, if we do then what we do with the belief of, uh, in divine creation, what do, you, what do you do with the belief of divine creation? Do you really believe that God uh, took a bunch of clay and mud and, you know, formed humanity? Now, do you believe that man came from mud and women came from a rib? Are you certain about that? Is that an absolute for you? Or do you go along with the uh, hypothesis that, uh, that there were a bunch of roving uh, molecules that uh, came from inorganic matter, and uh, we kept on evolving. Uh, it seems like if that's the truth, that we, we are now de-evolving, and we, we're, we're heading down a, a, a slippery slope into nothingness, and what used to make sense no longer makes sense. What do we do with God's intervention in human history by the coming of Christ some 2,000 years ago? We have all kinds of thoughts. You know, I remember when I was in school, one person says, well, I, I believe in, in, on, in all this evolution process, but I do believe that God, first of all, created us, created, created the matter that formed humanity, you know, that we at one time were something else. 
That doesn't sound very absolute to me. So here is an absolute for us to look at. I'm going to give you four, four things that I think that the Bible says that we ought to know. And the Bible says we ought to know this. I think that he says we ought to know. I believe he says that we ought to know this in a sense that these are certainties. These are absolutes that we can take to the spiritual bank. So an absolute for us to look at that God is unchanging in his character. We read in, in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what can we in this 21st century be sure of? We can, we can know for, what can we know for certain? The world hates Christ. You know, the world says that, uh, that, uh, that, that Christ is not supreme, that Christ is not sufficient, that Christ is not necessary. That's what the world says. And also... For those who follow him, that we certainly are not appreciated much. In verse 12 of our text, John speaks of, of Cain who hated his brother Abel and ultimately killed him. And, and, he's, and he describes Cain as who was the evil one. And, you know, if, if you look at this word evil, you know, because the word that we use for evil is the word evil. You know, uh, if, if it's evil, it's evil. But the Greeks had two evils. Uh, one of the evils is kakos, K-A-K-O-S, kakos, which means that an evil person is willing to perish in his own sinful, evil, and wicked state. But there's another word for evil, and that word is poineros. And it means that the sinful, wicked person desires not only to drag himself into the pit of perdition, but he wants to take as many people with him as he can. So the word that's used here for Cain is the word, is the word poineris. Not only does he want to kill Cain, Abel, but he would be willing to take anybody with him as he, as he could. We have poineris evil in the world today. That people would, would be willing to poison the minds and the hearts of individuals and drag as many people with them into perdition as they possibly can. Now, this is exactly what Satan seeks to do. He wants to do this to the church because he knows he's going to perish in the lake of fire. It is not a mystery. It's not a mystery to you. It is certainly not a mystery to him. But just as Cain murdered Abel, his brother, due to the fact that Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to God and his was not righteous in God's eyes, so Satan seeks to destroy those who do that which is just and righteous. He's talking about you. Satan would like to destroy you. Satan would love to destroy this church. Satan would love to destroy all Christianity. Satan would love to destroy the name of Christ all throughout this world. If it were possible for that to happen, it would happen. Even look at culture today. Is not culture today so anti-Christian in its attitude and in its own environments? It seeks to destroy the very things that you consider to be fundamental truths. So Satan incites Cain to kill his brother. And it should be no surprise to us then that he wants to destroy us. We read in verse 13 of our text. Look at verse 13. It says, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We are as believers not to be as Cain and live in, a, in the want of death. 
but we look for life at its fullest. And in verse 14, we find the words we know. Do you see that in verse 14? We know. That means that, that is a word of certainty. It is absolute. We know. It's not we suppose, we think, or I believe. It is we know. It is factual. That is something you could take to the bank. We know. So what is that we are to know? There are four we know passages given in our text. So rather than today, normally I would go verse by verse through, through the passage. I'm going to share with you four. What you're getting today, if I did this once every year and a half, that would, might be too much. Uh, I normally don't do points. I, you know, every sermon should have at least one point. But <laughs> I, I normally don't do points, but I think that you're going to get points on the board. You're going to get four of them today. There are four we knows in this passage. Verse 14 says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Is that a certainty for you? Are you absolutely Sure. Are you confident that that is for sure? Do you know for certain that if you were to pass away this very day, God forbid that any one of us would, but if you were to pass away, are you absolutely positive that you would spend eternity with Christ in glory? Are you absolutely positive? In John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, that means that it is, it is quintessential that we hear the preaching of of the gospel. The fact that Jesus came into this world. He is God. He came into this world. He was, he was born of a virgin. Lived, walked among men. He lived a perfect life. He dies on the cross. He is buried. He is risen again from the grave. It is quintessential that people hear that message. He says, hears my word and believes him who sent me. Do you believe that 2,000 years ago, some 2,000 years ago, that God sent his only begotten son into this world? To be the Savior of those who put their trust in, in, in Him. Do you believe, is that, is that an absolute for sure in your heart? He says, he who does that, he has eternal life and does not come into judgment. But listen to this, he says, but, and I want you to pay attention to these two words, has passed. Has passed out. Has passed, three words, has passed out of death and into life. I don't mean passed out because the sermon's gone too long. I'm talking about passed out in a sense that, that, uh, that you have gone from, from this to that. You've gone from darkness to light. You've passed out of death and into light. You've passed out of darkness into light. So the, these, the, this, this little term, passed out, in John 5, 24... Uh, again, this is just a quick little English lesson. It's in the perfect tense. It's a perfect tense verb. Which means that it is an action that has been done in the past. When you sometime in the past, whether it was yesterday or a thousand yesterdays ago, whatever it was. But when you came to Christ as your Lord and Savior, what happened then? Because it is a perfect tense verb. What happened then has continuous action. Right now and forever. That perfect tense verb means that it is forever. Don't, say, don't let people say, well, you can lose it. Listen, look, folks, you didn't gain it. Jesus gained it. God gave it to you. 
It is His grace that saved you. Not, not some action on your part. God gave it to you. God's grace gave it to you, and God's grace is going to keep you. It's a perfect tense verb. If I could earn it, I could lose it. But if I couldn't earn it, if God did it for me, then by that same grace, God's going to keep it for me. So that passed out is a perfect tense word. It, it is certain. It is absolute. God has saved you at, the, at some time in the past, and He's going to continue to keep you until eternity is complete. And eternity never ends. Now, in verse 16, we find a second certainty we know. It is an absolute. He says in verse 16, we know he laid down his life for us. I want you to think about that. Because normally we say we know that he laid down his life for us. We think that Jesus kind of generally died. He had you specifically in mind. Folks, do you understand this? He laid down his life for us. He had you specifically in mind. This is important. We often find those who have mixed ideas as to why Jesus died. Some see him as being a martyr. Others uh, perhaps view the death of Christ as an act of, of love only. That It just goes to show us Jesus loved people. And still there are some who look at his death, and, and, and I know an individual, but I'll not say who it was. I know an individual who says that Jesus died because of his own rebellious attitude toward the religious establishment of the time. You think that's real? You ought to know why Jesus died. We should know that his death on the cross was based on God's predetermined plan. Listen very carefully. Jesus' death on a cross was based upon God's predetermined plan and purpose. If you would, if you want to turn there, I'll just read it for you in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. It says, men of Israel, this is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Okay, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. So they were witnesses of how wonderful Jesus was, the great things he could do. He says, this man, referring to Jesus, this man, verse 23, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and put him to death. The death of Christ on the cross would have never happened if God had not predetermined for that to happen. I want to tell you this. I don't know what you believe about God's providence and God's sovereignty, but there is nothing in, in all of creation. There is no created being. There is no celestial being there is no spiritual being, good or evil. There is nothing that can thwart the decreed will and plan of God. When God decrees something, it is done. It is an absolute. It is, it is there are two words in the Greek, thelo and boule. 
fellow is a thought, boule is the action. And when you talk about the decreed will of God, it is the fellow and the boule of God that God thought it, God says, I'm going to do it, and it's done. God doesn't work in linear time like we do. Everything is now for God. It's just, God just is. He doesn't, he doesn't live by time. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, boy, it's five to nine, you know. We won't be done out here until 12.02 today. So I guess i got to wait around until these people get out of church before I send them off to lunch somewhere. God doesn't do that. God just is. He doesn't deal with time like we do. From the foundation of the world, whenever that was, from the foundation of the world, Jesus was the Lamb of God who had come and die. And therefore, by that act of obedience, take away the sins of those who had placed their trust in Him. In, in, in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, let's take a look at this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Peter writes, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. It doesn't mean that God knew him. Jesus is God. It's not, not that God knew him. When it says that God, that he was foreknown, that God had predeterminedly planned and purposed for Christ to come and die as the Lamb of God. For he was foreknown before the foundation world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Christ is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. It wasn't just happenstance. It wasn't just a coincidence. It wasn't that Rome finally won out or the Jewish system, religious system finally won out. Listen, Jesus Christ from the foundation of the world is God's lamb destined to be slain. So we see that God had planned for Christ's death to happen. But then we ask, for what purpose did Jesus die? You ever ask yourself that question? Why did Jesus? Oh, because Jesus wanted to save us. Because Jesus loves us. Because Jesus wants us to be his disciples. Because Jesus wants us to have church. Whatever. Listen, let me give you some biblical reasons why Jesus died. Apart from his obedience to the Father, I'm going to give you three of them. There may be others, but I'm going to give you at least three of them. Number one, Luke 19.10, Jesus, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's you and I. John 10.10, Jesus, I'm come that you might have what? Life and have it abundantly. It's two reasons. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give us abundant life. But there's a third reason. 1 John 3.8, 1 John 3 says he came to destroy the works of Satan. God had you in mind in the coming of Jesus Christ. When you see that baby lying in the manger, you're seeing, a, you're seeing a baby who is destined to have a horrible death in order that the very sins that we commit can be placed upon him. And that you being unrighteous can be declared to be righteous in the sight of God. 
It has been said by one of the Puritan preachers. He says, in order for God's grace to be applied to the sinner, God's wrath must be appeased toward the sin. In God's love for His church, His being, He being righteous and just determined that there must be a sacrifice. There must be a sacrifice. If, if it is a human who committed the sin, then it must be a human who will be the sacrifice. You see, you can't have a, a bull or a ram or a goat or a sheep be the sacrifice if it is the human who sinned. It was not the animal that sinned. It was the human that sinned. There must be a human sacrifice to, to relieve us of human sin. And in order for a sacrifice to be acceptable, acceptable to God, what was God's requirements? It must be spotless and blameless. Well, which one of us is spotless and blameless? Only Jesus Christ. If there were no sacrifice, then there would be no justice. And if there were no justice, then God would not be a righteous God. Romans 3.25 states, Whom, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, God displayed publicly as a propitiation. That word means that God, the Christ bore our sin and He bore His Father's wrath. And says, In His blood, through faith, this was to demonstrate His righteousness. That God is showing His righteousness because in order for God to forgive sin, there must be a perfect sacrifice. There must be justice done. And justice is done in the person of Jesus Christ. God poured out all of His vitriol on His Son, Jesus Christ. The perfect man, the second Adam, the last Adam. The world was looking for a second David. Remember, Israel was looking for a second David. But God didn't send a second David. God didn't send a second warrior. God didn't send a second king. God sent a, a child born in a manger in obscurity, in poverty, and have you ever thought about the idea that Christ being born in a manger? You know, he could have been born in a palace and surrounded by guards and, and thick walls. But he was born in an, in an open stall. There are no barriers between him and the rest of humanity. Everybody, whatever color, whatever nation, whatever tribe, whatever, Anybody was open, was, was welcome to come to this open stable and see this newborn babe. And today, anybody is welcome to put their trust in Jesus Christ. There are, were no barriers then, there are no barriers now. The only barrier that, is right, that exists right now is the barrier of the stubbornness of our, of our hearts to hear the truth of God's Word. The main reason for the cross of Christ is that the righteousness of a just God demands it. That is certain it is absolute. 
It is a demonstration. The cross is a demonstration of God's justice. If God were not to punish sin, he would not only be an unjust God, but then we would be an unsaved people. The third we know is found in verse 19. We know, we know we are of the truth. This verse along with verse 18, verses 18 and 20 uh, are to bring us to a place where we reflect upon our relationship with other people. How do you, how do you deal with relationships with other people. You are Christians. We say that we are Christians. If we are Christians, then has not God put us here and left us here to establish relationships with other people? That God, in order for us to have relationships, relationships with other people, has given us a giftedness. He's gifted each one of you with certain abilities, and we are to use these gifts that God has given in order that we, we can minister to other people, that we could serve one another. We, if the church is going to be built up, the church needs to edify one another. Is that not what we, we are required to do? We're to build one another up? So then God has gifted each one of you with certain abilities. We all don't have the same ability. But how are you using that ability to, to serve your brother or sister in Christ? So what are you doing with the gift that God has given you? If he has called you to teach, then you ought to teach. If he's called you to preach, then you ought to preach. And listen, if he's called you to love one another, then we must love one another. What has God called you to do? God has not called anyone to just come here and sit in a pew. We don't just come here, and there's 168 hours in a week, we don't just come here and spend one hour sitting in a pew and go home. You are positionally seated with Christ at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. There is more to do there than just being seated at the right hand of the Father. We're to be His disciples. We're to be His followers. We're to, what, deny ourselves and pick up our crosses daily, whatever you understand that cross to be, and we're to follow Him. So what do we follow Him? And we follow Him in service. We follow Him in love. We follow Him by example that He has established for us. The Scriptures tell us in verse 20 that when we fail in doing what is true, that our heart does what? It condemns us. Now that we have a heart that's condemned us, now we're feeling miserable about ourselves. Oh, Pastor, I've been a Christian for 40 years and I've not done anything. Well, you know what? There's, there, there's always a, a good thing about God's Word. There's always a but in there. So here's one of those good things that God's given us. Even if our heart condemns us, but then, but then, listen to this, even if when we are convinced of sin, we are to be convinced of this absolute. Even in the midst of our sin, God says, I, I have an absolute for you. That God in Christ has not condemned you, but God has laid that sin that sin of commission or omission that you and I have done, God has laid that on His Son, Jesus Christ.
It is a done deal. Are you not happy that there's Romans 8.1? Does anybody know what Romans 8.1 is? It ought to be something that you take to the spiritual bank every day of your life. What does Romans 8.1 tell us? That in Christ we are not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. God does not condemn you. You have, you have eternal forgiveness in God. You have an eternal standing in God. It's pretty absolute, isn't it? I think so. Even if we are condemned, even if we are condemned, we have an advocate with the Father. You stand as a declared to be righteous person in glory. The sin was laid on Christ, and you are not condemned but stand before a just and righteous God as forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The fourth we know. Found in verse 24, we know that he abides in us. We know he abides in us. This is about mutual abiding. Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. Friends, understand this. Abiding, in, abiding is obedience. You abide because you're obedient. Jesus says, if you love me, if, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, so what, what are those commandments that we're to keep? I mean, man, we could think of, there's 600 and some commandments. Are we going to keep all of these? You and I can't even, can't even keep the 10 commandments. Which commandments is Jesus talking about? I'm going to give you three of them. Number one, a belief in Jesus Christ. We are to believe that Jesus is God incarnate. Not that Jesus is just from God. Not that Jesus is just, there's the Father and here's the Son and here's the Holy Spirit. We're to believe that Jesus Christ is God. He's 100% God there is one God. There are three persons. Don't ask me to explain that. Listen, I cannot explain the Trinity to you. And if I did, I'd be lying. But there, are, there is one God. One God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. One God. But in, in God, there are three subsistences. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. How one could be three and three could be one, I can't explain that to you. 
I accept that by faith. We are to believe that Jesus Christ is God. That He is God incarnate. That Christ came, that God came in the flesh. That God put on skin and bone just like we are. That He was 100% God and 100% human. It's the first thing you've got to believe. Second, the commandment that we're to love one another. Sometimes we don't act very loving toward one another. You know, all of us, all of us don't, don't like the Kansas City Chiefs, and all of us don't like the St. Louis Cardinals, and all of us don't like the Detroit Lions, and all of us don't like the Steelers, all of us don't like the Giants, and so on and so You can give, all of us don't like the same thing. All of us aren't, all of us are not Democrats, and all of us are not Republicans. All of us are not white, and all of us are not black, or all of us are not brown, or, or all of us are not red or yellow, whatever. We're not. We're different. We are different. However, whatever we are and whoever we are, we are to love one another. Jesus didn't just die for the Jewish people. He died for all people. All nations and tongues and tribes and and nations. All, All people. The third thing. We are to do that which honors God. You'll find all three of these in the verses I just read. We are to do that which honors God. And what, what honors God is moral righteousness. Listen, if we are, let me explain this. If we're related to God by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, then are we not also called to God to walk with Him? If, if God has called us to Himself, if God has called us to Himself, then we are then to be examples of people who are in God and God in us. Let me give you a text over here. Uh, in Colossians chapter, in Colossians chapter uh, 1 and verse 10. I'll get to it in a few minutes. Colossians 1.10. So that... Paul writing to the church of Colossae, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's not a suggestion. That's who we're supposed to be. We're Christians. That's who we are. I want to ask you this. I'm, I'm closing, friends. Are these things worth our knowing? These things are certainties that we could be fully assured of. And my friend, if you're not in Christ, you cannot be assured of any of these. If you're not in Christ, you are on a road to perdition. Total separation from God. Not annihilation. You'll still be existing but you'll be existing in Satan's hell. Today, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, that He bore your sins on Calvary's cross, that He bore the Father's wrath in your place, that He died and He rose again, if you believe that and say, Pastor, I've, I've, I've never made this commitment before, but I, I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. I want to be a Christian. 
And today I believe that the Holy Spirit has worked in my, is working in my heart to convince me and convict me of the sin that in fact I've sinned and I want Jesus Christ to forgive me my sin. My friend, if that's you, I tell you what we want to do. We want to celebrate with you that God, that God has turned you from a road that leads to perdition to a road that leads to glory.